Um, thank you for guys having me. I'm, my name's Noah. I'm from uh, Calvary Chapel Apache Junction. I'm um, just really excited to be with you guys here today um, and share with you. A lot of things happened this week that hopefully I can get into. They've really just emboldened me with this message today. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, uh, by the way, if you guys want to go there. Now, Philippians chapter 3, you know, it's kind of hard actually to pick um, a section to teach. Last time I was here, uh, I taught in uh, John, uh, the Biting in the Vine. And I, I was really, I felt very strongly about that one, and I was very excited. And then Philippians, I just, I kind of, kind of been praying about it, and like I just couldn't get Philippians out of my mind, and I, I didn't feel super strongly about it. And then um, I told Rick, like I was there, he's like, oh my gosh, that pairs so well with Romans chapter eight. So I was like, oh cool, praise God. And then hopefully, if we can get to the end of this, you guys will see that. I feel like the Lord really directed this message from everything that I've been going through. And that's what I hope to share with you guys. You know, I don't, I don't intend to teach you guys anything new. I just want to speak what the Lord's been speaking to me through this week. And I really hope you guys are just blessed by it. So we will be in Philippians chapter 3. Um, I'll go ahead and pray and then we'll just, we'll just get into it. Lord, I just, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the privilege of just being able to be up here and to share with your people, God. Just very humbled by this opportunity to speak, uh, with, uh, Calvary Chapel Fountain Hills again, Lord. I pray you just bless the people here. Bless me, Lord. Just please let my words just be your words. Holy Spirit, I pray you just give me the gift of teaching. Um, if there's anything that's just distracting us or keeping our minds away from you and focusing truly on what you have to speak to us today, God, I pray and ask you to help us just to Honestly, supernaturally remove those things so we can just look into the face of Jesus, God. So we can just look at you and, and just hear from you and what you would have to teach us, what you have to just just to tell us, Lord. So um, I just thank you again for this opportunity, Lord. Just be here in this place. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Philippians chapter 3. Um, last time I was here, I kind of read some sections and chunks. This is going to be a lot more like verse stop talk. I, I feel like I have a lot to say about these things. Hopefully I can slow down a little bit and uh, not be too excited and just share with you guys what the Lord's been showing me. So verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So even before I should have gotten that verse, you know, Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's currently in prison, you know, and he's writing to the Philippians a lot about the circumstances of life and about what to kind of do with those um, hard feelings or uh, the anxieties or just how to deal with tough things. And Paul's well acquainted with tough things. He's such a fantastic example of how to deal with these things. And so as we're getting right into the meat of it in chapter three, and he's writing to the Philippians, and the first thing he writes to them is rejoice in the Lord. This is like, a, this word comes up so much. Like rejoice is one you should highlight. I will, personally, I feel like you should highlight, you know, that's up to you. Um, all over Philippians. And it gives us the right perspective of what joy you know, truly is. We talked a lot about joy when I was here and about biting in the vine, where that comes from. It comes from being identified with Jesus Christ. But um, in this circumstance, rejoicing in the Lord is looking at Jesus, not looking at your circumstance. There's a lot of things to be upset about in life. There's a lot of things that can really drag us down. And so our joy can't be tied up in how we're feeling. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes like if I have like too much fast food the night before, that can completely affect the way I feel in the morning. I can feel like garbage. And I'm in a grumpy mood or whatever. And if my joy is tied up into the way that I'm waking up and how I'm feeling in the morning, 
man, I can really set myself up for failure. But if my joy is tied up in Jesus and what he has done, it's completely separate, uh, it's completely separate from, from the things of the world. So I think your joy can operate separate from the way you're feeling, separate from the circumstances when it's not tied up into things that honestly are super temporary, which we'll get way more into that later. But Paul's reminding them, rejoice in the Lord. You know, it's safe. It's not tedious for me to continually write this to you. You know, I'm excited about it. And then he goes right into this. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. You know, Paul sets off these like, these are like some strong words that kind of like, you know, get your guard up a little bit. Beware of what? Like dogs, evil workers, mutilation. He's writing about a specific group, group here. He's writing about legalizers, people that are trying to appeal themselves to God by what they do. Or they're trying to earn favor or even salvation through what they are doing. And he calls them for what it is. It is a mutilation. And it's a perversion of what God really intends for us to be understanding of what the function of the law is. The function of the law is simply there to show us that we can't do it. I am completely incapable of holding up these standards. I need, I need, I need somebody to bail me out of this situation. Cause like I, I can't, I can't do it. I just, I, in the face of the law, I'm completely small. But then he flips it on, on their heads and takes this warning and like, gives us awesome encouragement. He goes, for we are the circumcision. Those people think that they really uphold the law. No, we do. Like we own this. Like we personally are the circumcision because, uh, in, in verse two, uh, verse three, um, we who worship God in the spirit rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Like we are upholding, we are the true people of God because we worship God in the spirit. Because we worship God in the spirit, we rejoice in what Christ has done for us, which we're going to really get into. We don't have confidence in the flesh and what we're doing or our own, you know, personal works. Now, I, I think it's important to kind of stop a little bit and like talk about works just for a second. Because in uh, James, I have it in my notes, probably should look at it. In James 227, it says faith without works is dead. You know, I, I don't want to totally just bash on like, the things that we can do or we offer to God. But there's a difference between you believe God and you're carrying out based on your belief versus you're doing something in order to appeal yourself to him. You know, I, I think about Noah, you know, that's my name. And Noah, like his faith was counted him for righteousness because he believed God was going to flood the world. So he did something about it. He built a boat. Like he did something with his faith. Um, but you know, these works that we do, it's not unto salvation. You know, in Isaiah, it says, our, you know, our righteousness is a filthy rags. You know, it's not something that's going to appeal us to God in any way. I think about, um, there's a, a phrase that I heard when I was younger, and I, I didn't really understand it immediately. I've been married for almost a decade now. I will be in November. But all the older guys would always tell me, like, happy wife, happy life. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I was, like, pretty confused about it for a little bit. And that was because of my perspective a little bit on it. I was like, I mean, I don't want to just like appease her just for the sake of making her happy. Like, I, like what if I'm not happy? Like I was thinking about it all wrong, but as I've gotten older, I've definitely realized like, no, like I love her. I care for her. And so I naturally want to do things that make her happy. Like I want to genuinely get joy. I genuinely get joy from her getting joy just by me serving her. Like it, it, it brings, it just, it just, I, I understand the, the statement now. And like to bring perspective to this, you know, um, of having no confidence in the flesh is like my relationship with Jesus is not, 
I'm not appealing to him based on what I have done because I can't bring anything to the table. He's already done it for me, and it's out of the love that I have for him that I just want to please him. Like, and, and, you know, the Holy Spirit comes along and has that sanctifying work where, yes, I'm being conformed to his image, but this is all like an organic, natural thing where, like, I love Jesus. I want to please him. I want to live a life that is super respectable to my Lord because of what he's done for me. You know, I don't think that I'm bringing anything, ta- anything to the table in terms of, you know, my good works is going to get me here, get me there, um, is going to have any kind of leverage in terms of uh, comparison with other people. And that's where Paul really gets into it here. And he says um, in verse 4, Though I also might have comps in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have comps in the flesh, I more so. And so he can say, like, you know, we don't have comps in the flesh, but... If we're going to compare, like, let's do it. Like, guess what? Like, I can compare. Like, I have every reason to be confident in the flesh. Like, I, and he's going to give his pedigree. And it's, like, super intimidating. And he really starts to give this thorough destruction of the legalizers here. Because he's saying, like, look, if they think they're good, let's go ahead and compare them. In verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. You know, he goes on to say, like, they think they're good. I was circumcised on the eighth day. They think they're good. Like, I was, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was one of the tribes that didn't separate from Judah when there was, you know, the civil war and they separated north and south. They aligned themselves with Jerusalem. So he was a Hebrew from birth. Like, he was from a very important tribe. Um, concerning the law, he's a Pharisee. He's got a title. Like, something he can compare himself to somebody else. Are these other people Pharisees? Well, even if that's not the case, maybe they are a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. He carried out, uh, you know, holy war against people that were enemies of Judaism at the time. And then he goes on to say, uh, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Other people would claim him to be blameless. He is upholding the law. Like, he's really doing it. Nobody can hold a candle to what this guy has accomplished within life. So if you really want to compare apples to apples, let's do it. Like, I'm going to, out, I'm going to outweigh you every time. It makes me think of a... I'm a really big Batman fan. Um, I think it's because... I think it's, I think it's because, well, I guess Rich is a superpower in a way. But, like, he doesn't have, like, any legitimate superpowers. But... There's one movie where he faces Bane, which happens to be one of my favorite villains as well. And they finally have the face-off. And in the face-off, Batman tries to use, you know, subterfuge and darkness, obviously being identified with a bat, trying to defeat Bane. But Bane, like, he utterly destroys him after he tells him, like, look, this is just something you've adopted. Like, I was born in this. Like, this is my life. Like, I feel like this is what Paul's saying right here. Like, you guys, maybe you dabble in legalism, but, like, I was it. I was the real deal. I was the, I was a real McCoy. And so he's, he says all these things. He, he's building up this argument and he says in verse seven, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ in the face of Jesus. None of it matters because you want to get into a real comparison. What do we look like? What does Paul's standards look like in the face of a holy God? It just, it doesn't even compare. It completely fails in comparison. And so he's, I just, it's just so amazing the way he just builds this argument and just completely crushes the dreams of any legalizer. Because he's like, look, I'm better than you, but guess who's better than me? Jesus. And it doesn't matter in the face of him. And so he continues to say, 
Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of, no, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. So we'll stop there again. And he like doubles down. Like these things, my titles, you know, what I've done, what I've accomplished, just in knowing Jesus, they don't matter. You know, I'm willing to suffer the loss of everything that I have gained in this life just that I might have him. Like, this is what the most important thing is. You know, his priorities are correct. I think that we can, and I think they're good things. It's good to invest in relationships and finances and your health um, and all these things. But if our joy is tied up into the success of those things, those things can come and go very easily. You know, even in my 10 years of my adult life, I've seen all kind of things come and go. You know, friends, relationships, uh, finances, you know, different things like that. And if I, my stock was completely put in those things, they're going to fail me every time. But if I invest in my relationship with Jesus, that's, that's going to be an extreme ROI. That's, that's, that's got unending dividends when we really invest in that relationship because he's the one thing that if you invest in, He's just not going to let you down. He's always going to be there for you. And he's always been there for me. And then what's really cool is, to me, when I read verse 9, I go, you know, Paul here is saying, it's like, once I have come to know him and everything doesn't matter, like, he's not mine to lose because he has me. You know, because he gained Christ, and in verse 9 it says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You know, he's like, he's not mine to lose. Now I'm found in him, and I don't even have to wear the things that I've done. I can wear his righteousness. I can come to God completely and utterly perfect. Because all God sees when he looks at me is Jesus because I'm wearing his righteousness on me. And that's the righteousness I would choose every time. Like, if I have to come to him with what I have done, even in this last week, I'm sure, I'm sure I've had, like, angry thoughts when driving my car, which we'll get into those actually a little bit later, you know? Uh, you know, it's just, it's just so cool that I can come to the table with one less thing to worry about. You know, I can worry about my relationships and, and where I stand and how I have to maintain all these different things, but I don't have to maintain, you know, my standing with God because I don't, I don't bring anything to the table. If I just wear his righteousness, I can come to him every time I failed. Like, I can come straight to the door, I can go right into the temple at his feet, and I can be like, look, I messed up, and he's going to accept me for exactly who I am. And I, I like, this just blows me away. And Paul just gives us, again, just utter destruction. He's like, all right, okay. Legalizers, like, let's compare. I'm better. But you know who's better than me? Jesus. And I will much rather wear his righteousness on me than my own. And that's only found in faith in Jesus Christ. And so in verse 10, he does all this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He does all these things so that he can know Jesus and be resurrected with him by that same power. He's willing to go through the fellowship of sufferings being conformed to the death. When I'm really started thinking about this, I was like, this is not just like an acquaintance with suffering. To fellowship with suffering is to be intimately involved and know it from a, a deep understanding. And that's worth it to him. So much so to be acquainted with the gruesome death of the cross. 
It's all worth it. It's all completely worth it in order to be resurrected with Christ at the end of times. Um, Very cool. But to continue on, verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. So Paul, after he gives this great pedigree, you know, and he has this awesome perspective. He's teaching the Philippians here on how to view the righteousness of Jesus versus their own righteousness and people that are trying to put legalistic standards on them. He says, not that I have attained or I'm already perfected. Like, if there's any guy that could, again, he just gave his pedigree to explain to them, like, why he's, like, the real deal. He says, like, this doesn't matter. Like, I, I still have a lot of things to learn myself. And I'm pressing on, and I'm pressing on to lay hold of that which Jesus has for me. I want what God wants for me. That's what my goal in life is. You know, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. I haven't attained. All I want is for what Jesus wants for me. And that's an excellent priority to have. That's one that I think we all strive for. Whether, you know, I think that we can have that goal in mind, and we can miss it day to day, or or even week to week at times. We have to keep pressing on that we want what Jesus wants for us. And that there's constant, like, um, I think restructuring sometimes to, like, have that perspective. And that's why I love these reminders. I love reading scripture over and over again to be reminded, like, yes, I want, I want what Paul wants. I want what Jesus wants for my life because I know that if I'm accomplishing what he wants for my life, I'm going to be in a, in a great state. Like, I'm going to, my emotionality is going to be on point. That doesn't mean I'm not going to go through tough times, because this is what this is about. Like, Paul is in prison as he's writing this. He's going through a tough time, but he wants what Jesus wants for him, and therefore he can rejoice in the Lord. Like, that's, that's the perspective that I want. And in verse 13, it says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead... You know, don't, he's not ruminating on the past. He's not just constantly mulling these things over. And I, I think there's, and we're going to probably get more into this a little bit later, but I think there's a lot of benefit to um, obviously addressing things. You know, I'm not saying forget things that need to be addressed, but the things that which hold us back that we continually go back to and ruminate on, whether it's, you know, past traumas of the body or the mind or whatever, we need to look forward and we need to uh, press on ahead. You know, one foot in front of the other. It's This is some real practical advice. That's another reason why I love Philippians. We're going to get more and more into it. Just the real practical advice that he gives us is just to have that perspective of like, I want what Jesus wants for me, and I'm going to press on, and I'm not going to worry about those things which are behind me. I'm just going to move forward. I think there's just, there's a lot of wisdom in doing that sometimes. Sometimes just, you know, just praying, just reading, just showing up. And coming to church and just expecting to hear from God. That I think that God grows us even when we don't see it um, sometimes. But in verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I'm going towards him. I'm going for what he wants for me. You know, I want to complete the call. I want to do what he has for me. Again, great perspective. Nothing wrong with investing in our health, you know, our retirement, uh, relationships. Those are all great things. But the number one goal has to be pursuing Jesus and what he has for us. Like that's, if that's not at the forefront of our mind, I, I just always find myself when I lose sight of those things, it seems like everything around me gets a little messy. You know, I, all of a sudden I'm, I'm fighting a little bit more with my wife or um, 
you know, if I'm not giving to the Lord, honestly, like I, I sometimes I find my money slipping away a little bit. I'm like, what is, what's going on here? And I, I feel like the Lord reminds me sometimes like, Hey, we, we need to like commune together a little bit. We need to, you know, have some conversations, which is usually me just listening. <laughs> it's not me saying much of anything, but to, to, to continue on in verse 15, therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if anything, any, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. So Paul's like, look, this is maturity. Don't remain in the past. Move forward. Press on. Like that's what maturity is. And the wisdom of Paul's like, even if you're not there yet, God's, God will get you there. Like I'm not really that concerned about it. Which uh, there's so much wisdom in there because I know that me, as a young guy, and there's a lot of people that tell me things, and you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Like, you can tell somebody a million times what they should do, but until they have that internal epiphany, which I think is, honestly, I say that, but I think it's conviction of the Holy Spirit, a lot of people won't do something. I, I pray all the time, Lord, just let me learn the first time. Like, I don't want, like, if you could just tell me and I could learn the first time, like, I think I'd be doing pretty great. But I'm a pretty stubborn guy, so a lot of the times... Um, God's got to tell me in a lot louder means, which is a testament to his goodness, to be honest, that he strives with me. (laughs) But to continue on, verse 16, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, wherever you're at, let us walk by the same rule, let us be the same mind, let us have unity. Unity is going to be, is always pressed in the scripture. I could go off on that forever, but I want to continue on. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. You know, Paul's like, okay, like, I'm following Jesus, but, like, you can follow me. You can follow those who also have a pattern of of good works, who are trying to do things correctly. And, you know, that's a great function of the church is discipleship. You know, mentory, mentor, disciple discipler relationships. Those are really great. I think they bring a, a lot of meaning to both parties. It doesn't have to be take-take. Like, as a as somebody that's being discipled, like, when you get to learn from other people's mistakes, if you listen the first time, like, you're able to apply those things and, you know, save yourself a lot of suffering sometimes. And then if you're somebody that's giving that advice and people are truly responding to it, like, it gives so much meaning to the things that you went through that, like, you have something to offer. And so I always encourage people, like, share. Like, there's people around you that have been through whatever you're going through. Like, we're not Elijah. Like, Elijah was like, why me? I'm the only one. Like, we all think that. But we as humans, we're so much more similar, like, than we realize. Same thoughts, you know, same struggles. Somebody's been through it in the room. Absolutely. But we have to be willing to be open and to share those things and not be prideful about our situation, not to think, like, no, I got this. You don't got it. <laughs> it's, that problem's probably got you if you're not handling it correctly. And somebody here could probably help you with it. I'm saying that to myself. There's so many people that I open up to. They're like, young man, like, I know exactly what you need to do. You know, we've already talked about this, and I have a hard time uh, listening at times. But God is good to strive with us. We should look for those who can show us a pattern, and we can example them. That's a good thing. But in verse 18, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. You know, it's really sad because, you know, Paul's writing, he's like, there's people here, man, that, like, they gave up. Like, they couldn't, they couldn't hang. Like, they didn't have the right perspective. I'm not going to speculate on whether, you know, they ever were Christians or not or, or anything like that, but there's a delineation here which describes these people 
which in verse of that should describe us as well. You know, our end is not destruction. Our God is not our belly. It is Jesus Christ. Our glory is in him, and our mind is set on heavenly things, because we are not citizens of this place. And it's very sad to me when I see people start to serve their belly. Like, when you really, like, try to unpack the statement, there's a lot of meaning there. Because, like, I can go and have, like, a fantastic meal tonight. It could be the most nutritious, or it could not be. It could be of high quality. I spent $1,000 on this dinner. Or it could be, uh, you know, Taco Bell. I thought outside the bun, and I got, like, uh, a $5, you know, whatever from there. I'm still going to be hungry probably the next day. Or, at in minimum, if, like, I got food poisoning, maybe, like, 24 hours, which... Taco Bell can do that to you. Um, but we always keep coming back for more. With drugs, you're always chasing that first high. You know, in relationships, if you're just chasing chasing yourself, chasing other people, and you're all wrapped up in, like, the success of this thing, it's going to let you down. This world has nothing to offer us that's going to completely quench our hunger and our thirst. You know, what everybody really needs is Jesus. I wish, you know, I'm one of those people, I just need to to hear it and just do it. Like, everybody in the world just needs to hear it and do it. Like, everybody just needs Jesus. That truly is the answer. But people are just missing it. You know, they want to go and they want to chase all these things that that are just pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Or the next fix, the next fix, the next fix. We're such in a society, like, we can get whatever we want when we want it. If I am feeling a certain pain, I can call the telemedicine guy. I can get a prescription and pick it up within two hours. That's crazy. Like, I can microwave a meal. I can Uber a meal. My wife had Zycam. She's sick. Um, Uber to the house last night. Immediate relief in her sinuses. It was amazing. Like, you know? But um, these lies, they're, they're just so endless. And they, they really... Do you guys ever feel like you're being gaslit? Like, where you turn on the news and you're like, am I just going crazy here? And they're just trying to, like, market or, like, switch things on you. Like, one of the most disgusting lies, and I'll probably get a little political here, and please forgive me, but, like, I hate hearing that a baby's a fetus. It's not a, it's not a fetus. It's a baby. They're murdering life. Why? For the sake of people's convenience. I remember when I was growing up in school, it was supposed to be safe, legal, and rare, which is not right in my mind, but it's not that anymore. It's inconvenient. It's my body. It's not your body. The womb is the only thing in the human body that's not designed for you. It's designed for life, for something else. And babies, it's a baby. <laughs> like, and it just, it, it makes, it just, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like, I really do sometimes. Like, I'm like, what's going on here? Like, are we really, like, switching terms and saying, like, we're born one way, but we can identify as another. It's just, I don't know, man. But the world's constantly going to serve these things, which is going to lead them to destruction. You know, it it is crazy when you kind of start to view some of these things. They all end up in in death, like a lot of them. You know, gambling, I don't know, drugs, uh, relationships, too, even. Like, they, they just kill people. It ends in death. It just The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if we start worshiping him and the desires of our body, I should just wrap up this part here, it's going to lead to our destruction. And we need to have our minds that we don't live here. Like, this is not our home. Like, I just went to Flagstaff a couple weeks ago just to get out of the heat for the 4th of July. And, like, on the way to Flagstaff, like, I'm hungry. But I'm not going to spend a, a ton of time, like, thinking about what I need to eat. I'm going to get something quick on the side of the road. I'm going to continue my destination because I'm, I'm excited to get there. You know, it, it's something I need to take care of. Like, I was hungry, and I did. 
But like my hope and joy is not wrapped up in the Wendy's that I got on the way to Flagstaff. My joy is like, I'm going to get to Flagstaff. I'm going to have a great time with my family. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to get something nutritious and good. I'm very into that kind of thing. I like good food, but I like it to be, to be good for you. Because my destination is not anything that I'm passing through. And that's us too. Like we're passing through here. We can know that, yeah, we need healthy relationships. Like we need food. Like we need these things in our lives. Like, but they're not the end all be all because our destination is heaven, which literally it says that if we go into the next verse, I should just read it. Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're waiting for. We're excited to get to the destination. I'm just excited to meet Jesus. You know, it makes those aches and pains a little bit better. You know, I don't hurt so much when I realize like this is momentary affliction. Like I'm just, I'm just passing through. Like it's going to be fine. This is not going to break me because this isn't my home. I know I have a whole nother life ahead of me in which my body, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Like I get to be transformed. And when I was younger, like I never got it when, you know, people older than me were like, I cannot wait for my new body. I was like, why? Like, this one's great. Like, I feel fantastic. (laughs) But as I get older, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, like my ankle, I rolled, I, uh, me and my daughter, we both do grappling together and I rolled my ankle on Tuesday and like, I wake up, I'm like, I remember when I'd be fine and I could go and I could like continue to do activities. But now this is going to take me down for like maybe a week, maybe more. I have no idea. So I get that. But even my mind, you know, I have, I see in my daughter actually very intrusive thoughts when she's very impulsive sometimes. I'm that way too. Um, there's actually an interesting thing. It's called the call of the void. Are right? any of you familiar with that term? Have you guys ever, okay, so maybe I'm crazy. Probably am, but the call of the void is something where when you're up really high somewhere, and I'm afraid of heights, by the way, and you get close to something, there's almost this weird urge, like, jump. Like, you get, like, this, not like you're going to do it. And this probably seems a little crazy. You guys could Google it. It's actually, like, 50% people go through this. I'm not suicidal, I swear. But um, you kind of get this weird urge, like, like, man, what if I jumped? Like, it's, it's called the call of the void. It's a very intrusive thought. But I'm looking forward to, like, even my intrusive thoughts being subdued unto Jesus Christ. So I don't have them anymore. It's not just my body I'm excited for. It's my mind. I, I don't, what, is it, what does a mind look like that isn't clouded by sin? How am I able to think and make good decisions? Like, I'm excited for that. I'll be honest. I'm excited not to have moments of weakness where, like, I get angry and I act out in anger. Like, I'm always disappointed when I give into those things. Again, one of those earthly, you know, your belly's your, your, your master at that moment. I had an urge. I, I, I went into that urge, and where did it lead me? I, I don't ever feel better. Like, I always feel worse. So, we don't worship our bellies. We worship the Lord. We eagerly wait for him because he's going to transform our, our bodies and our minds in subjugation to him. Super pumped for that. And then, we're going to go into four. We're not going to read all of four. We're going to read a couple of verse four. This is where I'm really excited to get into because this is where I like the Lord has really been like magnifying the things of the week. Um, but let's just go. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my, my joy and my crown, so steadfast in the Lord, beloved. This, he's just doting on the Philippians now. Um, rightfully so. He loves these guys. Um, they have a very intimate relationship. You know, he's obviously writing this letter. They provide for him a gift later on or maybe it already happened. 
I think it's later on. But anyways, um, let's continue. I implore you to you Euodia, and I implore Syntec to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So for some reason, Paul's like, get these girls to get along, you know, have unity, everybody have unity. You know, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Actually, I'm not going to spend any time on it. We're going to move on. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Again, there's that rejoice word again. Rejoice in what? The Lord. Your circumstances? No. The Lord. And rejoice. Again, I will say rejoice. We have to have that at the forefront of our mind. Why are we happy? Why are we rejoicing? Is it my circumstances of life? No. It needs to be in God, what he has done and what he is doing in my life. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Some of your guys' translations might say reasonableness. I think this is one that can be very hard to do, but it's very effective. You know, there's a lot of reasons to be not gentle and unreasonable with people. There's a lot of craziness going on. We just talked about that. Politics is a great way to get in some extreme arguments. And I don't, this doesn't say, like, don't speak the truth. Like, we should obviously speak the truth. But there's a way we can wield the truth. We can speak the truth in love. We can be reasonable, for sure. Even if the other party besides us is not being reasonable. But the Proverbs does say, a soft answer turns away wrath. And I've seen that work. I've seen people be super, super mad at me. And I'm giving them the truth, and they come back and apologize later on. This just happened to me, literally the other day. Somebody apologized me after we had an argument probably two weeks ago. And it blessed me greatly that they would do that type of thing. And I've been on the other side too, though. Like, I'm not going to say that I'm perfect. Like, I've been completely unreasonable. I'm a young man. (laughs) Believe me, I've been unreasonable. We have to always remain to be gentle, to be reasonable with people. Um, that is a huge part of our witness and how we're able to win people over for Christ. And it's just such, it's a such needed characteristic in this world where unhinged makes you more validated nowadays. It seems like whoever's the most angry or the most unhinged, now, now that's the real argument. But everybody knows at the end of the day when they, they see that interaction with two people that are arguing and they see how one person can just be calm and just steady in that. That can, that can really mean a lot. So just a little encouragement there. We obviously wouldn't need that direction. It would be written there if we didn't need it. We obviously do. But then the real meat here that I am excited about, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's a lot of things to be anxious about in life. Let's just turn the news on. I was talking with some gentlemen earlier, and they were talking about that. You know, they turn the news on, and it's just like they've just had to go away from listening to the news as much as possible recently. And I completely agree. You know, I think about this week. Um, this is where I was going to bring up some stuff. Uh, my, uh, I've had a lot of things to be anxious about this week. My dog, I don't think that I'm going to be able to have them with me much longer, which is upsetting. And so what do I do with it? Well, I pray. Like I ask God, I tell him, like, I'm concerned. I don't know what to do with this. I have feelings. What do I do with my feelings? I don't know. And then I have to express gratitude and anxiousness cannot survive with gratitude. Can't. They're completely contrary to one another. 
And so when I pray and I ask God, and I, and I can remember, thank you that I had this dog and I had times with him. And he brought me joy. Like, that brings a sense of comfort that helps me deal with those type of anxieties. My daughter, she got sick this week. Very sick. Um, it, it was, you know, it was a cold, but it was a pretty bad cold. And she struggled to uh, have breath sometimes. And I've, we've ended up in emergency rooms because of that, because of her breathing. So it's a very scary time. And that was giving me anxiety. And then my wife got it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to teach this weekend. Like, I cannot get sick. So I pray to God. I'm like, God, please don't let me get sick. He doesn't have to answer everything. Obviously, I'm here. I did not get sick. It's crazy. I always get sick. But I didn't get sick. And I'm so thankful for that. There's gratitude, not just in the result, but in that I know that even if I, even if I wasn't like... Rick and Cheryl, like, you guys are, like, so kind and considerate. Like, I know that you guys would understand the situation. Like, I, I'm glad that I have that comfort of knowing that, like, everything would work out. Like, there'd be somebody else here. Um, on Friday, I got my oil changed. I drove home. And on Saturday, me and my daughter drive it, were driving to grappling class. And as we're driving back, all of a sudden, my oil light starts coming. I'm like, oh, no. And, like, I open up my car, and it's all gone. All my oil is everywhere. I have one car. I'm like, dude, what am I supposed to do? I just pray, Lord, like, Lord, I don't know how I'm supposed to get Fountain Hills tomorrow now. <laughs> so I call my buddy because I need help with the oil, not a car. And he's like, hey, you got to teach tomorrow, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, I got my car. He's like, just take my car. And like the Lord provided again and again and again and again and again. And there's, and at the end of the day, I, I, yes, I had anxiety. You know, even I think it's in James or in First Peter it talks about grievous trials. Like things make us feel certain ways. But at the end of the week, like even sitting here now, it's like, why was I anxious? God has already been in every single one of those situations before. Like, I just didn't know it. But still, we need to pray. We need to have Thanksgiving. We need to ask him to, you know, deliver on our shortcomings. And then he says, if we do these things, and, and, the, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Like, we do these things, promises, like, promises that I like to hold on to, is like, you will experience not my peace, not the world's peace, but God's peace. That's a peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm just quoting the scripture right now. Like, what does that look like? That's like, in the midst of circumstances, I see it with people, like Christians, that lose their children. How are they able to maintain, like, the hope that they have? How is anybody able to maintain the hope they have? My dad, last time I was here, my dad came with me. He had throat cancer. Like, how how did he, like, always have joy, like, through this entire horrible process? Or, like, he's he's an older guy, and he's had a lot of health complications, you know? And the, the perspective that he had that he was going to go and crush it, like, in the midst of every single one of these things, like, that's a piece. Even if he did, he, even if he went, I knew that my dad was, like, good. He knew that it wasn't, you know, he probably would survive it, but he's had many circumstances where he probably wasn't going to make it this time. But he's always been at peace with these situations. And it's blown me away. It give, that gives me peace to see my dad go through things and be like, how did he, how did he do that? Like, it's because of Jesus, because of the relationship that he's built with him over time. And I think that that's important to note here is you're feeding your mind on health and you're feeding your mind anxiety. Don't expect this to be immediate. Like the peace of God is, is something that I do think that he wants us to experience. But if you're not in constant practice of these things, which we'll get into, it can take some time. Like it really can. I do think that God gives us, pe- uh, you know, crumbs of peace 
and I've experienced that, that it makes me hungry for the whole pie. And uh, I'm happy to say that I experience the peace of God frequently now. <laughs> um, didn't always. But he goes on to tell us, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Practical things that we can do right now. We can pray to God. We can practice gratitude. And we can run through this checklist in our mind. Be like, does it, does it meet this criteria? If it doesn't, don't ruminate on it. Don't just sit there and think it over and over. I'm saying this to myself. I am, I, I am known for this type of things. My, one of my friends calls me the think tank. Like, I just think, 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 think. And it could be beneficial at times, but a lot of the time it's not. And so we have to focus our mind on things that do benefit us. Meditate on these things that meet this criteria. So real practical thing we can do. Does it check out? No. Don't think about it. It's a lot easier said than done, I think. It's very easy to sit there and think about things or to change your, your mind. One thing that I liked to do when it wasn't 115 out, take a cold shower when I was having trouble with thoughts. It snapped me right out of it. Like you can't, Not much you can think about when you're taking a really freezing cold shower or working out or getting up and just moving out to a different room or just picking up an activity or even finding a different piece of entertainment at the time, shutting off the news. Like, wow, my mind is, is racing because of the future and what it holds, you know, and you're, you have it on. It doesn't meet that checklist. You know that God is our future. You know the plans he has for us. It's probably best to just, if you can't stop thinking about it, maybe just shut the channel or change the channel to a different piece of entertainment. You know, these are real practical things that we can do. Like, and I love it because Paul even says these things which you learned to receive and heard and saw in me, things that I'm teaching you guys, you're seeing me do it. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. Like, practice them. Like, do them now. I have told you. You have the tools. Like, do them. And I, you will experience the peace of God. It's a promise. That's a promise I pray actually a lot. Like, God, you promised this me. Like, I didn't promise this to you. Like, to me. Like, please give me a piece of peace right now. Like, and God has always delivered on those things, which is super, super cool. Sometimes it takes time because we need to practice these things. There's two stories that I have, uh, just to kind of highlight this to end here. And they're both biblically based stories because I think that we can be at different spots, obviously. Some of us are not in a critical mode and we're doing pretty good. We're experiencing the peace of God. Some of us are not. Like we are in, we need to be triaged like now. Like we are in trouble. So I think about like Nehemiah when he's building the walls of Jerusalem. There's enemies at the gates. There's backbiting. There's all kinds of things going on. And so the people stood shoulder to shoulder, hammers and swords. Sometimes, if that's the mode we're in, the enemies are out of gates. Maybe the enemy is my own mind. I need to share with someone. I need to talk to people so they can help me with that burden. Help me to rebuild those walls. Help me to practice these things. Help me to fend off the enemy. I am in crisis mode. Well, let's treat it that way. Let's get some help. Let's try to deal with these things. And then... Once those walls are built, we can begin to reap the rewards. We can experience that peace as we've rebuilt those walls. And then one of my favorite, actually, one, like, little section of scripture is when I was in Bible college. I was like 22, 21 years old. And I was just going through the Bible, the Old Testament, and I was going through Chronicles, and I was really not feeling like 
I was getting a whole lot out of it. I was just kind of being obedient, like just reading the scripture. And I was praying. I was like, God, I'm not really, maybe I should change like the where I'm at reading. And I felt God was kind of like, yeah, just, just stick with it. And I came across Second Chronicles. I have it written down here. Second uh, Chronicles 14. And it's about King Asa. And King Asa was one of the, he was a good, he was a good king. Okay. And he returned Israel back to the Lord. But they were in a situation where the walls were down. But they were experiencing peace. And so King Asa, in returning to the Lord and having the wisdom to like see the situation, decided to have the walls built and to fortify cities. He invested in securing the city in a time of peace, which ended up paying great dividends because a one million man army shows up. And with 580,000 men, he goes out and he conquers. And they don't just conquer. They take spoil. They're able to go and absolutely like smite them. They get smited. Like it's pretty cool. But I, I remember like at the time, I was like, I'm in a time of peace right now. I'm in a place where I can build walls. Like I'm going to start practicing some of the things now. Like because I think we all know like um, wherever stage of life we're at, like problems are before us and behind us. Like they're guaranteed. Suffering is guaranteed in life. So if we know that it's coming, well, let's do something about it, you know? Let's let's pair with individuals. Let's go to the Word. Let's do these things that Paul's doing. Let's not wear our righteousness. Let's wear his righteousness. Let's not serve our belly. Let's serve the Lord. You know, let's not have our minds wrapped up in what's going on here. Let's have it wrapped up in where we're eagerly going to get. And we're having these thoughts and feelings because they're going to happen. Give them to the Lord. Ask the Lord for help. And he's, he's gonna, he's gonna provide for you. But we do need to practice these things. We need to put them into motion, not meditating on these things that constantly just drag us down and negatively affect us. And, um, you know, we'll experience peace of God if we, if we do those things. They're, they're really, they're really not that big of asks, you know? Especially when he's bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders. You know, and I, just to kind of end here, I guess, you know, this is where, like, I get so much joy, is just knowing that, like, there's a lot of things that I, I do think that kind of, you know, rely on me to some degree, you know, maintaining certain things, but the one thing I do not have to maintain is the way I look in front of Jesus. He sees me fail, and I can just come to him and be like, look, I just made, I messed up. There's joy in that. There's joy in knowing that I don't have to worry about the way I look like to the Lord of the universe. Because he, when he looks at me, he sees the blood of Jesus all over me. Like, I can't, I can't, I couldn't manage that. I can't imagine that anybody would want to put that on their shoulders. That they want to think that what they do appeals them to God or gets them any favor with him. It just doesn't. And so we need to be constantly submitting ourselves into Jesus, having him at the forefront of our mind, and just, just asking, like, I want what you want, Lord. <laughs> now, I, I could continue to go on and, and on and on and on about these things. So, um, we'll go ahead and just wrap up in prayer and, Pray you guys just have a blessed time. Lord, I just, I just thank you for this day. I just thank you for your word. I thank you for you. I thank you for your sacrifice, uh, for your practical advice, and for your care that you give to us, God. I just pray that we could just be people that practice things, no matter where we're at. You know, maybe we're in crisis. If we're in crisis, if there's people here right now that are struggling, Lord, I pray you just help them to run to you, but you'll just give them a little crumb of peace today, God, that they can just desire to have more and more of you. I pray you could just go out before us, God. Just plan our paths for this week. Just help us just to fall in line for what you would have for us, God. I just pray that you just bless the people of Fountain Hills here, Lord. Um, 
just love on them, Lord, and, and just be with them, as well as me, Lord, as I head back to the valley. Uh, praise things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Right, if you guys would stand with us, we're going to do one more song, I believe. Yeah.